Good morning. It's good to be back. It's gone for a week on vacation and then gone for a week with COVID and I'm glad to be here and I'm not coughing as much as I was and uh, I'm just happy to be back here on a Sunday. Um, Let me open us up with a word of prayer before we get into some of what we're going to talk about today. Lord, thank you for this day. Uh, Thank you for um, this opportunity to be together and um, even just this past week of, of not being able to be with my church family because I was sick and a reminder of, you know, 2020 and how much that was taken from us and just how much we need community. God, thank you for that. Thank you for community. Thank you for a group of people that we can um, mourn with um, when we're hurting, uh, celebrate with when we're celebrating. Thank you for a group of people that um, have our best interest at heart and want us to, to know fully your love for us. And so I uh, just give you thanks for church today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Before we get into Proverbs, two of my favorite movies of all time that kind of have a twist ending. Have you seen these movies? Sixth Sense and Knives Out. There was a rumor going around when you saw Sixth Sense in, in the theaters that they turned it even colder than normal so the hair on the back of your neck would stand up. The movie messed me up. Uh, <laughs> There's a twist ending at the end, right? I'm not going to spoil it for you, but there's a very, if you haven't seen it by now, I guess I can spoil it for you. But, um, and then Knives Out is, a, is another great whodunit type of movie where you're trying to figure out what's going on and then it gets revealed at the end. But there are two different kinds of movies. When, when I finished The Sixth Sense, I had to act like I was smarter than I was. I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I totally see it. I totally see that. They set it up the whole time. Was, yeah, I get it. I get it. I understand the movie. And then I had to go back and watch it again to find all the clues that I had missed the first time. Whereas in Knives Out, at the very end, Benoit Blanc, our detective, explains in great detail all that happens. So by the end of the movie, all of the clues that you missed along the way are explained to you. So you can leave fully understanding what you just saw. A couple other things that I love about the movie Knives Out. It has introduced to us phrases that should be in our regular vocabulary. So instead of saying OMG... We should be saying sweet beans, okay? And when we show up to some place and we're asking what's going on, we should be saying, what's the cheese? Very important points in my sermon today. (laughs) The Bible is like both of these movies in a way. The Bible is actually kind of like both of these movies in a way, depending on when you lived in history. If you were in Jesus' time, And all of a sudden, Jesus starts saying things like, I came to fulfill all the Old Testament. You're going like, what? How? I don't understand. Like, you got to walk me through this. But now we have the, the, the New Testament. We have these books where, where we see the Gospels, Jesus, what he did and what he said. And then we have the, these letters uh, to the church telling us how it all makes sense, how Jesus truly fulfills the Old Testament. And, and it connects the dots for us. They do like a Benoit Blanc where they break it down in great detail about how Jesus fulfills the whole thing. So the challenge for us when we read a book like Proverbs is, is to go, well, how do we see Jesus in a book like Proverbs? Because Jesus' name, uh, the, the, the idea of a Messiah, the idea of a Savior doesn't come up at all. And yet, 
I believe Jesus is all over the book of Proverbs. So today, and this whole series isn't about us going verse by verse through the book of Proverbs and explaining exactly what it means. Today, like all the rest of the weeks, is how do we read the book of Proverbs on our own and really benefit from it? How do we, today, we're going to focus on how do we read the book of Proverbs and see Jesus in its pages? So, that's what we're talking about today. So we will talk a little Proverbs. We're going to talk a lot of New Testament, but, but a lot of this is just to see how do we find Jesus there. And so I want to look at the, the Proverbs 8, and there's a section in Proverbs 8, which is so good. It says this, I, wisdom, not me, the, 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 the fictional person writing here, I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. I have power. By me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern and nobles, all who rule on earth. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor. Enduring wealth and prosperity, my fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along paths of justice, bestowing rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasure full. Now, before I dive into this, if you read Jesus' words throughout the Gospels, every single one of these lines will be reflected in something that Jesus says. Uh, it's maybe a little subtle at times, maybe very obvious at times. But this is a, this, this is a personification. This, this person is saying, I am wisdom and here is what I'm like. Wisdom is spoken of as a person. In Proverbs, it's this abstract kind of cloudy picture of a person who is wisdom. But this per- person, it, their path leads to God and leads to thriving. These blessings that come from knowing God. Now, I want to fast forward ahead to the New Testament as the Apostle Paul takes this idea of wisdom being personified in this kind of abstract person of Proverbs 8 and then very specifically tells us who wisdom is. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the message of the cross is foolish, foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, uh, uh, sorry, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than any human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So, spoiler alert, how do we read Jesus into the Proverbs? Proverbs is all about wisdom, and God says Jesus is the wisdom of God. The fullest picture of wisdom that we've ever seen is in the life and the teaching 
and the, and the, the, the example of Jesus. So as we're reading Proverbs, we should be able to find Jesus everywhere because the wisdom that we seek is the path that Jesus sets us on. But a couple of things about this that I want to point out to, to help us make it a little bit clearer. When we read a book like Proverbs, it's okay that it's incomplete. The author does not know Jesus, does not know that Jesus is coming, and therefore does not know how wisdom can be more fully lived out until Jesus comes. So Proverbs is a preview of what Jesus is going to show us, of what we have in Jesus. It's good. The book of Proverbs is very good, but Jesus is better because he fulfills all that wisdom uh, claims to be in the book of Proverbs. To know wisdom in its fullest is to know Jesus. And I think that's really important for us to remember. Um, we do not subscribe to a religious movement. We subscribe to a risen Lord, Jesus Christ. That's what this is about, right? We don't gather for church on Sunday to just go through the motions of doing things because we think that will please God. We come to pursue Jesus. He is the target. He's the center of the target. That's the bullseye that we're aiming for is to know Jesus and to become more like him. And the book of Proverbs, through its wisdom, can help us to do that because he is wisdom personified. Now, it's actually controversial, as this verse kind of told us, the, the verse in, in 1 Corinthians tells us that it, it seems like craziness. It's a stumbling block to the Jews, and it's foolishness to Gentiles. It was controversial to say at the time that if we want to know wisdom, if we want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus. And the Greeks and the Romans, they worship these, these many different gods. And if you know some of the you know, mythology around them, they were temperamental. They were kind of needy, and they had mood swings. And, and depending on their mood swings, you, you might receive blessing or you might receive curse. It just depended whether they were having a good or bad day or not. And much of the early church actually fought against uh, these Greek ideas that, that God was like hiding knowledge from us. There's a secret knowledge out there. And while it's true that there is some mystery to God, right? We're talking about an all-knowing, all-powerful, eternal, ever-present being, and we are none of those things right? We are finite, and therefore, we can't fully wrap our minds around God. But, but Jesus wanted us to know that, that God's character, what's important to him, is not hidden from us. He is not hiding. He has fully revealed who he is in Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So this confused people because they thought, you know, it was different. It, it, like, it can't be that easy. You can't just point to Jesus and say, that's that's the whole point of the story. That just seems too easy. It's not as complicated as the system we've built. But it's true. The Sunday school answer of Jesus, right? When you're in Sunday school, hey, what's this, blah, blah, blah. And the little kids go, I don't know, Jesus? And you're like, well, yeah, sure, that's right. It actually is pretty right. Like, he's the whole point. It's simpler than we make it. Harder to follow through with, but simpler to understand. To seek after Jesus is to seek after true wisdom. As Matt said in his own words last week, wisdom is the applied knowledge that leads to the very best for us, the good life. How do we find that? Well, we look to Jesus. In Proverbs, wisdom points to a person who is wisdom. And in the New Testament, we get a very real picture of what wisdom looks like, and it looks like Jesus. Colossians 1 is, is another New Testament passage that is often connected to the book of Proverbs, even if it doesn't quote it word for word necessarily. 
Many New Testament scholars, uh, some of that I've studied for this series, Trumper Longman and N.T. Wright, other commentators on the Bible, they say there is a clear connection to this verse in Colossians to the type of wisdom taught in Proverbs. So Colossians 1 says this, the Son, that's Jesus, right? The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Does that sound familiar to the Proverbs? Kings, nobles, they rule by me. In him is the power, right? He is before all things, and in, in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Okay. Paul, in these two passages, is making it very clear. Do you want wisdom in your life? Look to Jesus. I know it sounds simple. It's really hard to live out. But don't take your eyes off Jesus if you want wisdom. One of the questions I've been asked and I've asked myself over the years is, can you find wisdom outside of Jesus? And the answer I give is yes and no. Because I have met wise people who have not yet put their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. But when you hear their wisdom, whether they know it or not, it's in line with the character and teachings of Jesus. I know people in my life that would love Jesus if they actually got to know him. They just don't know it yet. And they're very wise people. So I say that to say, like, yeah, you may find a source outside of Jesus and go, like, that sounds like wisdom. But what do you do with that? You test it. Go to the Gospels. What would Jesus say about this? How would he respond to that? And that's the fullest wisdom that we can have is through Christ. Now, one of the things that we need to know, if Jesus is the path to wisdom that we want to be on, we have to be honest with ourselves. And the reality is that wisdom is often countercultural. And this is stuff that you can jot down. I forgot to mention this at the beginning. In the seat backs, there are some places, uh, some cards that you can take notes on if you're ever interested in writing this stuff down. If there's questions that, that come up in your mind and you want to jot them down, feel free to grab one of those and, and follow along. But, but wisdom is countercultural. So much of what happens in the book of Proverbs, if you look at it, it's about choice. Two paths, right? It's compare and contrast. The people of Israel and Judah are surrounded by these dominant cultures that worship the gods of Baal, these false gods, right? And the worship of these false gods comes with all sorts of harmful practices that destroy individuals, families, communities, um, because they, they're destructive, even though they promise, if you do this, you'll be blessed with material things. The Proverbs are often comparing and contrasting. And wisdom is choosing faithfulness to Yahweh, which is the name that God gives of himself in the Old Testament, uh, which means I am who I am, right? Wisdom is choosing faithfulness to the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The path of wisdom leads to God and all the benefits that come from knowing him, which is a full and blessed life. That's the theme of Proverbs over and over again. If you do this right thing, you will be blessed in this way. That's the, the rhythm of it. And the other paths, there's always a warning. 
The other path leads to nothing because the gods of Baal are not real. Therefore, they will not be effective in blessing you at all. They're false. So there's no benefit that can come from worshiping a false god. It can't deliver. But what you can get is curse. Why? Because you've run away from the presence of the God who gives blessing. So that is so much of the rhythm of Proverbs. It's just that, hey, there are two paths you can take here. The world around us, the majority of the world around us, they are taking this path. But if you want true wisdom and the blessing that comes with it, you're actually going to be going against the grain of that path. You're going to have to fight upstream, and it's not going to be easy. So much of Proverbs is like that. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says that following Jesus as our wisdom is countercultural. The Jews have missed it. The Greeks have missed it. The world around you functions in a way that makes, you, makes it hard to stay on this path following Jesus. But stick to it. It's the path that leads to life. Every other path does not. Right? And then all through Jesus' ministry, you get all sorts of countercultural language. Paradoxes. Things that don't make sense. He says, hey, you want to you find your life? Lay it down. Surrender. Give it to me and you'll find true life. But if you want to chase after your life on your own terms, you're going to come up empty-handed. Right? It's countercultural. It goes against the grain of what we think. Even, even the teaching, the wise teaching of the day, often Jesus would start by saying, you have heard it said. And then he'd say something that was common wisdom of the day. And then he'd come back with, but I tell you. You ever wonder why Jesus would go teach for 5,000 people? All these huge crowds wanted to come and hear him teach. Yet by the time his ministry was over, not very many people stood up for him. The crowds had disappeared. It's because he had poked at the norms. He had gone against the grain. He, he taught things that was too hard for people to accept. It was just, this, this way is the way everybody else is going. It's the way I've always understood it. It's too hard for me to veer off now. The way of Jesus is countercultural. And not always in the ways that we expect. One of the things that I think is really important for us, those of us who call ourselves Christians, is we have to be honest with what things come from Jesus, pure doctrine and religion, and what things come from our culture. When I first became a believer, um, I was kind of a novice mu musician. I was learning how to play guitar, and uh, I, I didn't really know how to read the Bible yet. I didn't know how to pray very, I didn't think I knew how to pray very well. And so I was like, well, I can learn worship songs. I can do that. That'll be my way of praying and connecting with God. And, and I'll, I'll, this other, some of this other Christian music is, is good too, and this seems to help my soul, so I'll go look it up. So this is, I'm old. This is early internet days. This is dial-up, not, not, not high-speed internet. You know, the Every kid in here is like, what? <laughs> you couldn't talk on your home phone. If you don't know what that is, we can explain later. You couldn't talk on your home phone and be on AOL at the same time. Um, <laughs> man, I'm old. <laughs> so, you know, I'd get on there. And it would take about 10 minutes to download like one chord sheet or whatever. But what I stumbled upon is I was looking for music to play were these blogs, these blog posts. And it was all like, this Christian music is from the devil because it's got a hip-hop beat. That hip-hop beat might make my hips move, and we know God hates when hip move. And that's a caricature of their point, but it was just, I was like, are we for real? 
And then another one, I remember a couple years later, um, you know, I had heard of some, some church service that had mentioned our church by name. And so I went back and listened to the sermon that was posted on their website. And this church believed that uh, musical instruments would lead to dancing or something like that. And therefore, you couldn't do musical instruments. In church, you just sang a cappella. And they named my church, the church I was serving at in ministry at the time, as of the devil because we played musical instruments. And I was like, this is real? I thought, I thought Footloose was made up. Like, this is real life. Who loves Footloose? Come on. That's a great movie. Footloose is a great movie. The gist of it, for those of you who have never seen it, is uh, Kevin Bacon moves to a town where this local preacher has gotten the town to outlaw dancing. I don't know why, but they outlaw dancing. It's evil. It's from the devil. And he rebels and he punch dances his feelings out in a forest. And uh, it's a great movie. I, honestly, I didn't grow up in a Christian environment. I thought this was just make-believe. I didn't know people were really like that. I say this, Christians, because we have to be really careful. Those things are cultural. There are certain uh, backgrounds where expressing emotion is seen as bad. You read the New Testament, you read the Gospels, Jesus expresses emotion, right? But they attached their culture to a religious belief. They slapped Jesus' name on it, and now they said, musical instruments are bad, moving your hips is bad, dancing is bad. But sometimes you just got to cut loose. Sorry. Now, this is an extreme example of how, like, a certain branch of Christianity can say, we've got the truth monopolized. Our culture is the only one that gets it right. But we're all tempted to do this in many different ways. Our expression of following Jesus is the right way. That's why there's so many different denominations, because we fight over the little things, and we can't seem to work it out and just say, hey, maybe, maybe this isn't as big a deal as we think it is, Right? And we make enemies out of people who should be our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the whole world is watching this and going, these people can't even agree. And they call themselves Christians. Like, why should I listen to what any of them say? Right? We do this with all, all sorts of things. Like, think about manners. When I was growing up, I would get slapped if I had my elbows on the table. Because you know who else puts their elbows on the table? The devil. <laughs> right? That's a cultural thing that was told to me as if it was a moral thing. Again, a silly example, but we see this in all sorts of other ways. Like think of like politics, like Jesus agrees with my politics and everybody who disagrees is not on Jesus' side. The idea of a representative democracy is so foreign to Jesus in his context that for us to be able to say that Jesus is on my side of the political aisle doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't. That takes, that's a too big of a leap, right? That doesn't mean we can't discern and try to figure out where his heart is. But to say that Jesus is a Republican or a Democrat is, I, I'm sorry, it's silly. It doesn't make any sense. So all these different ways, these are just a few examples, some broad examples of the way that we do this, the way that we take our cultural assumptions and then say, this is from Jesus. It's really dangerous. It's really dangerous for a couple of reasons. One, there's a watching world that need to see the true Jesus, not the one that I've created in my image, right? And two, in the process, I'm missing communion. I'm missing connection with the real Jesus because I'm so focused on these things that ultimately are just cultural. They're not necessarily of Christ. It doesn't mean they're bad. It just means they're not of ultimate importance, right? We've got to be careful. And one thing about wisdom all throughout the book of Proverbs illustrates is that there's always this cultural pull. The, the gods of Baal are always going to be tempting you. Right? 
But as a wise person in our church recently taught our staff, it's really hard for a fish to recognize the water that they swim in because it's the norm. It's all we know, right? We are shaped in all sorts of cultural ways, and after a while, we no longer recognize the water that we swim in. One last example. If we're honest, we live in a culture where greed is celebrated, right? But because of that, we seem to be quick. We don't seem to be as quick as American Christians to call out greed as we are other sins like dancing. (laughs) And yet the Bible talks about greed a great deal and how it's a path that doesn't lead to God. It doesn't lead to life. It leads to destruction. Jesus tells us not to store up for ourselves on earth where thieves break in and steal and where moth and rust destroy. Instead, we're to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We're to invest in the most important things, our relationship with God and in other people, right? That's the water we swim in and one in which greed is not looked down upon. Instead, it's somewhat celebrated and we have to swim against those waters because that's what wisdom looks like. That's what it looks like to have Jesus, right? Look at the way that even we're raised. This is some of the hardest stuff. What I found out when I like, became a Christian is like, what was normal for me was not necessarily good. And there was some good in my upbringing. There was some good in my childhood. But I found out there was a whole lot of dysfunction too, right? What was normal for me, what felt comfortable for me, was actually not always healthy or wise, right? And we have to constantly be aware of the fact that we bring our past, our history, our culture, the water that we swim in, we bring it with us as we're trying to find Jesus. So as parents, you know, we are shaped by our time and place. For me, a time and place where AOL was cutting-edge technology, where you couldn't talk on the phone and be on the internet at the same time. But the world my kids are faced with is dramatically different than the world I was shaped by. If you grew up in an era where the eight-track tape was the peak of technology... How can we share wisdom with people who grow up, have grown up with a device in their pocket with more computing power than was used to get to the moon, right? Like, that's what an iPhone is. It's space-age technology. We can't just copy and paste wisdom. We have to be discerning. We have to be open to the idea that universal wisdom is actually pretty hard to come by. And as we try to pass on our traditions as best we can, as we try to help our young people process Uh, and know the difference between godly wisdom that's true and effective at all time, we have to do it humbly. We have to understand the difference between contextual wisdom, things that made sense for this time and place, but maybe not for this time and place. Sometimes we read a proverb and we go, I don't know that that rings true. Maybe there's something behind it that can help me. You know, there's some of the proverbs are very dated in time. They talk about things, the way of life that people had, you know, and and, and if you're reading it, you're like, I don't know what they're talking about. So what's the, what's the ethic behind the thing that's trapped in a time capsule? And that's where we find wisdom. A life of wisdom often goes against the grain of what's going on around us. And so that leads me to my last point about Jesus being the wisdom of God. How can we know Jesus? How can we live with the wisdom of Jesus with all of the obstacles and distractions? How can we go against the grain when, when what's normal around us, the waters we swim in actually make it hard. And I'm going to give you another easy Sunday school answer. Prayer. 
Let's pray. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Matt talked last week about ways that we find wisdom. One of those is in community. Yes, I've learned from so many wise people. When I was talking to Nick about who, who, who do I go to when I look for wisdom, I had a lot more people just come to mind immediately than I expected. It was just easy to think of the wise people in my life. But the thing about every one of those wise people, they have spent time with God and it shows. They have been in the presence of God through prayer and through scripture and it shows. Look again at Proverbs 8 and then look at the words of Jesus in Matthew 7. I love those who love me. This is wisdom speaking. I love those who love me and those who seek me will find me. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Jesus, the wisdom of God, wants to be found. I mentioned the Greek philosophers of that day and age, the Gnostics. You know, they thought that God was hiding from us, and Jesus is saying, no, I want to be found. But like any good parent... God doesn't just do our homework for us, right? What's the danger of doing your kids' homework? They may get an A, but did they learn anything? No. He wants to make sure we actually learn and embody the experience of seeking after him, of hearing his wisdom, of living it out and being transformed because of it. He doesn't hide from us. He doesn't do our homework, but he is nearby to help. He's willing to sit with us at the table all night as we try to figure out what we're looking for. He's given us the Bible, which is so full of wisdom. The tricky part about the Bible is, is so much of it is simple to understand. It's so difficult to live out, right? I also want to say this. God knows us. He knows how we function. He knows that we're created in his image, but he also knows that we're totally messed up by sin and, and dysfunction and brokenness in this world. And he knows that advice for us, because we're stubborn, <clears throat> is most effective when it's sought. If you've got a friend at work at school that's going through something, what's going to be more effective? Just blurting out, you know what you should do, or waiting patiently for your friend to say, hey, what do you think I should do in this situation? In the first scenario, you're, you're giving unsolicited advice, <clears throat> and you don't know if your friend is open to it or not. In the second one, you know that person's open to it. So when you speak, it's going to fall on good soil. That's what Jesus would say. Good soil. That's going to lead to a fruit. It's going to lead to thriving. The same is true with Jesus. He doesn't force wisdom upon us. He knows that when we are open to it, transformation is possible. And as Matt shared with us last week, wisdom is sought. It doesn't come to us by accident. And it usually doesn't stick when it's forced upon us. It's something that if we seek after, we will find it. And so Jesus waits. You want the answer? Ask. You want to know me? Seek me. If you knock on the door, I'm opening it. I'm right there. The wise proverb about wisdom in Proverbs 8, personified in, and about Jesus, is if you seek, you will find the wisdom of God. Now, this seems like a, a, a nice little you know, Sunday school answer here, right? Prayer. Easier said than done. If you're like me, you may struggle with prayer. That's not always been the easiest thing for me to, to understand. Early on, I was just like, I don't have the right words. I don't know what to say. I didn't grow up in church. I don't have like, the, the, the source of religious things I'm supposed to say. Well, again, that's what I love about Jesus. 
earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, because we've been talking a little bit about Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. It's my favorite portion of all of Scripture. And he just said, hey, when you pray, don't stand on the street corners and, and impress everybody. And don't try to impress God with big churchy words and, and go on and on and on to try to impress him so he'll answer your prayer. There's no magic words. Jesus said, God already knows what you need. Just be honest with him. Open up your heart to him. He's, looking, he's not looking for long, eloquent prayers. He's looking for a heart that longs to know him. That's all he needs to work with, to transform. If you, if you struggle, like you ever get in a prayer rut where you feel like, I feel like I'm praying. I don't know if it matters. I don't know what to say. There are all sorts of great resources out there for you. There, there have been many, many, many amazing resources for Christians throughout the centuries. You know, the Book of Common Prayer, um, Praying the Hours, which is, you know, an old Catholic tradition that many have, have kind of revamped to be used by anybody. Um, uh, you know, you've got a phone uh, probably in your pocket with an alarm to remind you, hey, just five minutes. Take five minutes and just pray. Just speak whatever's on your heart to God. Stream of consciousness. It doesn't matter. Or five minutes just to say, God, I feel like I'm stuck. I need you to speak to me and just set aside five minutes of silence to hear from God, right? Start small if you have to. Pray other people's words if you have to to get going. But prayer is a gift. It's a gift we too often take for granted. The creator of the universe wants to hear from you and wants to speak to you. The one who is both the wisdom and power of God wants to hear from you and speak to you. Prayer ultimately helps us to, to be reminded of the heart of God. It helps us to welcome the help of the Holy Spirit so that we can have the power to walk step by step with God, even when the world around us is pushing against us. And lastly, prayer helps us be reminded of our purpose. Let's look back to Colossians 1 real quick. I'm going to read this whole passage again because it's so good. There's one thing I want to hone in on. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the, the, the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Let me read that again. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see it in there, the very mission of God to reconcile all things to himself. He invites us. The path of wisdom is ultimately a path of mission. It's joining God in what he's doing. We see all the brokenness that, that exists in this world, all the things that our selfishness, our self-centeredness, our sinfulness has caused to happen in this world. And he invites us not only to be healed from that and forgiven for our sins, but then to participate in the reconciliation work that he's doing. We seek to align ourselves with his kingdom. We participate in his work. We ask as he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my home as it is in heaven, in my school as it is in heaven, 
in my workplace as it is in heaven, in my city, etc., etc. You get the picture, right? Paul says this again. I want to remind us. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than any human strength. I want to kind of close with this, this thought, this countercultural thought of Jesus' time. People understood power as shaped by Caesar in the Roman world. This is a power of violence, of coercion, take control, the powerful write the history books, etc., etc. For Jesus, the power and wisdom of God, according to Paul, look like the cross. True victory looked for a moment like it was defeat. But Jesus refused to play by the world's wisdom, which might bring short-term benefit, but the wisdom of Jesus, the wisdom that's shaped like the cross, brings us eternal benefit, eternal life. True life lived in step with the heart of God, eternal life with him forever. It seems foolish and weak to the world, but it is the power and wisdom of God. Whatever the world tells us, whatever our cultural assumptions that we bring to the table. Let's commit to open our eyes as best we can and pursue Jesus. We talk all the time around here that we, it starts with prayer. Begin with prayer is the very first part of Bless Rhythms. If you don't know what that is, we've got a discipleship pathway class some, starting sometime soon. You need to be a part of that. But we talk all the time. It begins with prayer. So let that be our commitment to chase after wisdom, starting with prayer. Let's, let's more and more become a people of prayer, praying that Jesus would show us his heart, his wisdom, and that he would empower us, give us the courage to pursue it, even when the world around us makes that seem impossible. The things that we think are impossible through human strength and wisdom become reality through the power and wisdom of God. So as you read Proverbs, ask the question, where is Jesus in this? How does this show me his heart? How does this help keep me on the path that leads to him? And it's okay to flip back and forth and go, hey, this sounds familiar. It sounds like something Jesus said. Let me go back and look at that. It's okay to do that. Because ultimately the Proverbs can help us to know Jesus even more, right? Okay. We're going to celebrate a step of wisdom and faith today. Oh, uh, the, the idea that Jesus breaks through and changes lives. And one of the ways that we do that here is through baptism. So this is not like a hot tub for, you know, lounging and watching the game on the big screen afterwards. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is a time of baptism that we're going to celebrate together. This morning, our sister in Christ, Teresa, is getting baptized. And, and I love this in connection with wisdom. Because when we say, I once was lost, but now I am found, what we're saying is, I was once on my own path. And now I've seen a better way, and it's the way of Jesus. I once was dead, but now I'm alive because I've found the path that leads to true life, and that's Jesus. I once lived in my own strength and power, but now I'm living in the strength and the power of the resurrected King, Jesus. For, for, for you, if, you, if you're confused about baptism at all, um, or you're interested in it, and you're going, I think maybe I should get baptized. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you've never been baptized, the answer is, yeah, you should. You should get baptized. And uh, we'll have another baptism service uh, shortly after Easter in a couple of months. But um, 
I just want to clarify what baptism is. Um, Two passages that help us understand that. Romans 6 says this, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ uh, was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For those of you who, like me, have a hard time reading the Apostle Paul's words sometimes because he repeats himself a lot, here's what that means. (laughs) When we get baptized and we go under the water, we're saying, Jesus' death on the cross was for me. It was enough to forgive me of all my sins. When he he died, I died with him, and, and he took my sin on his shoulders. When we come up out of the water, it's a symbol of his resurrection. He did not stay dead, right? He was raised again three days later. And what we're saying is his resurrection is for me because he lives, I live. So what we're doing is we're playing out that drama right here and right now, going under the water, symbolizing his death, coming up out, symbolizing the victory that we have in Christ, the new life we have in him. It's a beautiful thing. So when Teresa gets baptized and she goes under the water and comes back out, celebrate because it means something pretty incredible, right? Have some fun. Dance a jig in the aisle. This ain't footloose. Let's celebrate. Let's party. Because the the angels in heaven are partying with us today. Okay, one other verse. And this is important because baptism isn't just about an individual and their relationship with Jesus. It's about a community too. Ephesians 4. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father over all, who, uh, Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. When somebody gets baptized, they're saying to this family, I'm with you. We're in this together. And we, as we celebrate, are saying this morning to Teresa or to anybody who gets baptized in this church, we are with you. You're taking this major step of faith. We're going to walk alongside you as you take the next step and the next step and the next step. This is a family celebration. So let's do that. Let's worship this morning. Let's celebrate. Let's clap and applaud and give thanks to God. Because the gospel is, is crazy. It's backwards, right? We were going one way. We were on a path that leads to destruction. And God said, no, 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 I'm not giving up on you. Turn around. Come on that path to me. And we found new life. It's worth celebrating. Amen? Amen. Come on, don't be a footloose crowd. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let me pray. God, thank you for this time to be together. Thank you for um, your word that reminds us of the truth. God, we we do live in a world that presents all sorts of things as wisdom. Um, And they're fool's gold. They're sinking sand. They don't actually lead to you and they don't actually lead to us thriving. Whatever short-term benefit that they they give doesn't actually... (laughs) doesn't actually live up to its promises. And that's hard, Lord. It is hard to know what's true. It's hard to know what is wise. And so we just confess, Lord, that we need you. We, we humbly submit ourselves to you and say, Jesus, show us the way. Show us what you care about. Show us what you want to do. Lord, I pray this week each of us would be committed to prayer daily. Even if it's just for a few minutes to get started, even if it's a struggle for us, God, I pray that we would just commit to prayer, that, that, that you would remind us that you're sitting there waiting 
That if we knock on the door, you'll answer it. That you're not far, that you do want to hear from us and you want to speak to us. And God, with all of the distractions that we will come across this week, may your voice speak louder than any other thing that purports to be wisdom. Any other thing that, that tells us this is the way to go. God, help us to hear the voice of Jesus above all those things and to have the courage to follow faithfully. It is so tough. We are bombarded by messages constantly in this world, God. It is so hard to know what's true and what's false. God, would you make it so clear to us what our next step should be? And Lord, as we celebrate this baptism today, we're reminded of the new life that you offer. We're reminded that, that in our own path, uh, we can't find true life, but when we set our heart on you, you welcome us in. You forgive our sins and you give us new life. God, let us celebrate that today. In Jesus' name.